0: This is BTS with CTV, behind the scenes, behind the stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver newsroom. My name is Penny Dafflos and I'll be your guide behind the curtain to an international incident unfolding in downtown Vancouver. Journalists from around the world converged on BC Supreme Court after a woman was quietly arrested at Vancouver International Airport a week earlier at the request
1: of the US government. How can the courts be sure a top tech executive won't flee Vancouver and go back to China if she gets bail?
0: Meng Wanzhou is the CFO of one of China's top tech companies. Her father is the billionaire founder of Huawei, facing serious
1: allegations. The United States wants Meng extradited, alleging Huawei misled American banks by using a subsidiary called Skycom to transact business in Iran in violation of U.S. sanctions.
0: The drama of whether she'd be granted bail pending her extradition or kept in custody lasted days. When the detained person happens to be part of a
1: billionaire family, flight risk is a real possibility. So the court has to proceed cautiously. Every morning, hundreds of members of the public are lining up to try to get a seat to watch.
0: Ultimately, the judge agreed to release Meng to house arrest at her posh Vancouver home to the approval of her supporters and Observers. I feel very happy about the result. And it should be like this way. It's reasonable. I think uh, finally the justice comes. I have very confident about creating justice system. Shannon Patterson joins me now because Shannon, you've been covering this from the very start. And let's start with that Friday. I, you can't call it anything but a circus because there were so many people there. Paint us a picture what it was like lining up to get into court. That doesn't normally happen for procedural things at court.
1: When I got to BC Supreme Court that morning and I saw the lineup, I thought, am I in the right place? I've covered court for a lot of years and I've never seen a lineup to get into court before. Who are these people? Now, some of them international media. This got attention from all over the world. But a lot of them were just citizens, people who live here uh, who wanted to, I guess, come see her in court, so I was very surprised when I first arrived that I had to line up to get into the courtroom. Uh, Thankfully, they held some spots for accredited media. I've never been so thankful to have my court accreditation because it got me in and guaranteed me a seat. The other big surprise at the very beginning of Friday's bail hearing, day one, was that they lifted the publication ban. I don't know if listeners know, but in Canada, there's pretty much a blanket publication ban on bail hearings, and so when I showed up, I was thinking, I'm here to hear what the judge says, but I won't actually be able to report it. Turns out that pub ban was lifted right at the beginning. And so everyone, me and the dozens, if not hundreds in the courtroom and the dozens, if not hundreds more in the overflow room outside, were actually able to hear the allegations against her. And and that was surprising. And I think it was actually a really wise move on the judge's
0: part because CTV, along with other media, teamed up uh, with uh, legal support to be able to have that pub ban lifted, which I think was really important. But I think any time something like this happens, and the international spotlight is on not just Canada but on our judicial system as well, I think it's really important to be able to explain everything that's been happening in that courtroom because there'd be so much scrutiny. Just even when you think about you know the Chinese government just looking at every single detail about of what's happening, I think it was really important to have that transparency and for people like you. Who were in there to be able to report step by step exactly what was happening.
1: Yeah, I think it was kind of a no brainer. Even the lawyer for Ms. Mung said, I'm just a country lawyer, but I realize that horse has left the barn. Uh, So he didn't fight all that hard to keep the publication ban in place. So perhaps Ms. Mung wanted the allegations against her to be heard in open court so people knew what she was accused of. It's kind of a, a complicated financial allegation involving a shell company and sanctions against Iran. So if people thought maybe she was involved in something uh, criminal where there was a massive uh, fraud against people, if there were victims, who knows, maybe they thought she was involved in some sort of violent crime. It came out pretty quickly that that's not what this is. This is the U.S. alleging that she defrauded banks by misrepresenting her company, and to some people, that may not look serious enough to stay in custody. Well, and I think that to your point about the transparency, uh, the
0: fact that it turns out that the family owns two homes in Vancouver, um, all the news that's been happening lately in terms of money laundering and um, illegal money coming into the country, I think, again, it was really important to explain exactly what's involved, that it has nothing to do with their real estate holdings or anything like that. It is actually pretty high-level international relations, politics stuff that's involved here, and and Canada is, is almost a third party here because it's the U.S. that wants finally to get their hands on her. It just so happens that she was arrested in Canada.
1: Yeah, we're stuck in the middle. Uh, I felt sort of bad for Canada because we were sort of a darn if you do and darn if you don't in that situation where if uh, she was to be held in custody, we may have made the Americans happy. But the Chinese would have been upset as it stands. She uh, was granted bail and that means that she will live freely, somewhat freely, in Vancouver. Uh, That should make the Chinese happy, but perhaps the Americans won't be happy because they claim to have a real concern that she is going to flee. That, yes, she lives in Vancouver. Yes, she's under 24-hour, both in person and electronic surveillance, but they think she has the financial wherewithal to skirt around all of that and get back to China where there's no extradition treaty with the U.S. and Canada, and she can live out her life not facing the prospect of 30 years in jail for this alleged fraud. And that's what makes this,
0: I think, so interesting because there is so much um, attention on this case that is, most people would be like, oh, I don't get it. Like, what's the point? But considering uh, the number of journalists who were attending court, uh, considering that this is an international relations, um, it's a very tangled ball of yarn uh, that our government is dealing with right now. And even in terms of, of covering it, I mean... The courtroom that was used for this case is the old Air India courtroom, and it is it was specially built uh, and designed during that time so that it could have a lot of people, uh, a lot of plaintiffs, uh, a full jury. In this case, it was just the judge. But there are security procedures to go into that courtroom. Now, it is very rarely used because it's only for really huge cases. The last time I was there was several months ago when a whole bunch of um, uh, Kinder Morgan pipeline protesters were all charged all at once. There was dozens of people in there as well as their lawyers plus the media. So even where this was held and where we were getting all this information uh, is a rarely used space. And I mean, Shannon, as you mentioned, you're accredited, you know, all the rules in terms of being in that room. But a lot of people uh, do not
1: know what the rules are in Canadian courtrooms and the sheriffs, it sounds like they had a busy time. Oh my goodness, Penny, Uh, the number of people who were trying to snap selfies, who were trying to take pictures inside a courtroom. You and I know that is a huge no-no in Canada. You can't do that. But we also know that in today's society, if you don't Instagram it, did it really happen? So I think a lot of people who showed up to watch... Now, you know, I don't know their motivation. I'm just speculating. Because frankly, a lot of it was very dry procedural court stuff that I wouldn't be watching on my day off. But... I think they wanted to witness something that they thought was pretty spectacular, different, um, once in a lifetime. I've heard it compared to, to, for the Chinese community, to like seeing Bill Gates in a prison jumpsuit facing a bail hearing. Uh, She is that big in China. So perhaps for these people, they just wanted to bear witness to it. And perhaps they wanted to include it in their Instagram feed. Uh, They were not allowed to do that. I witnessed several sheriffs forcing people to delete photos on their phone. Every time court was recessed or allowed back in, they shouted very loudly again, you cannot take pictures, put your cell phones away. So, uh, it was such a, it was such an interesting and unusual scene to see all of these people who were there to observe, um, There was speculation about who they were, that, you know, perhaps they were there um, because they have ties to China. Um, I I don't know. The people I talked to said that they were concerned about her, uh, that they uh, either knew her personally or knew someone who knew her personally. Um, Some people said they just wanted to observe the legal process. But I have never seen that many people who were unconnected to a case not only show up, but line up to spend their day there. I can't tell you how many people never made it inside the courtroom. And there were these overflow rooms with giant screens outside. And there were dozens, if not hundreds of people sitting on the ground, standing around, watching these screens. And again, I can't tell you enough that it wasn't terribly sexy. It was a bail hearing. But I think it was the fact that it was her, that it was Meng Wanzhou, that it was the daughter of the founder of Huawei sitting there in a green prison sweatsuit, facing the possibility of months, if not years, in Canadian custody as this extradition is going to play out, that interested people. And I think a lot of people have the misperception
0: that it's what they see on American TV. Because even if it's not dramatized or fictionalized, cameras are allowed in American courtrooms. Uh, That's the the general uh, policy. Whereas in Canada, that's really not the case. We can't even take a photo in a hallway, let alone inside a courtroom. And that's why in Canada, you always see those sketches. We have to hire a sketch artist to give a sense of what was going on. Sometimes you can see the person's demeanor, like you say, what they were wearing, this green uh, prison uh, sweatsuit and whatnot. And the reason that journalists... because you've been tweeting, our national colleague Mel Nagy has been tweeting um, uh, details from this is because journalists have to sign an undertaking. Uh, it's uh, We have to do it every th- three years to get um, accredited and there are certain rules. If a judge says uh, this is under voir dire, there's a publication ban, there's all sorts of things that we can't report, we will get in a lot of trouble if we violate that, where in this case um, it does get quite complicated. I, I'm sure you've seen cases in the past as well where an American media come in, they don't care if they get you know booted from the courtroom after afterwards, if they get a scoop and if they report something that's under uh, a publication ban, it doesn't really affect them. And we've seen cases before where us locals who do have to abide by the rules and respect the courts, you know, we, we do that, but then all these people come in and break the rules, and in this case, when you have so many members of the public, I mean, it was just a disaster waiting to happen, even if there was a publication ban.
1: It was pretty chaotic, and yes, there was a lot of international media. I struck up a relationship with a, a gentleman who reports for Chinese television, uh, an English-speaking gentleman. I also spoke to a CNN reporter from Denver who on Friday figured that the bail hearing would last 10 minutes, and he would be on a plane that night back home uh, which I laughed because he's never been in Canadian court before. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of international media there who didn't really understand how our system works. Um so that gentleman from Denver ended up spending a weekend in Vancouver and Monday and Tuesday at least as well. So uh, this garnered a lot of attention from media from all over the world. And uh, I expect that it's as although it'll be on pause a little bit while she lives here and while her extradition is worked out once her extradition hearings begin. All eyes are going to be on Vancouver again, and a judge will decide if she will be extradited to the United States. This is a massive decision, uh, assuming, of course, she doesn't flee and she shows up for these hearings. These hearings could determine whether she will go back to China or whether she will face the prospect of 30 years in an American prison if she is convicted of the charges that they uh, allege that she committed in the United States. So the extradition hearings are still to come, and they're going to be pretty blockbuster, too.
0: Well, and as Richard Curlin, the the lawyer um, who we've often spoken with, um, e- his analysis on this is that this could easily take years. We could be in and out of court following all the procedural developments, both big and small, for a really long time. And, and that I think the interest will wax and wane as that winds through the process, as it always does with court uh, um, procedures like this. But how challenging is that going to be to cover, to, to
1: make people care about each little step in this process? I'm not sure if they will. It's hard to say. But yeah, I mean, uh, she could live here for years. As Richard Curlin told me today, she'd better get used to Vancouver weather. Uh, She's visited here before. She actually has lived here for a short period um, a couple of years ago, and she's visited here. She has a couple of homes here. Now she's going to live here in one of those homes under this 24 hour day -day, uh, seven-day-a-week security. So she could be here for a long time. She uh, said today through her lawyer that it is her desire to simply read a novel, uh, that she might pursue getting her PhD from Sauter School of Business over at UBC, that she's actually looking forward to not working and traveling the world as she has done in her role at Huawei. And she uh, wants to stay in Vancouver. I guess in a way for her, it's fortunate that she was detained in a city where she has some connection, where she has two homes. Let's say she had instead flown into Edmonton or Toronto and she was detained in those cities. It may have been a much tougher argument to, to say she should get bail in a city where she truly has no connections. She has no real estate holding. She's never been there before. I think the fact that she has some connection to Vancouver makes her a little less likely to flee in the eyes of the judge because she's comfortable living here. Uh, Now, there's still some fear on behalf of the Americans that nothing will keep her here. So, oh my goodness, if she were to flee, what a scandal that would be. Uh, I think the Americans would come down quite hard on Canada for granting her bail in the first place and not ensuring that she stays put for these extradition hearings but as has been raised I mean her father is a
0: multi-billionaire there are not many people in the world wealthier than her father I think the one thing if anything that would keep her um, here is the fact that there are all these family friends that put up sureties of their own surely they can be compensated but the shame of um, you know putting them in a position where they vouched for her And she ran off. Not to mention, um, her lawyer brought up uh, earlier in this process, did he not, that she didn't want to shame her country because Huawei has become synonymous with China's um, rise in the tech sphere. It's it's their most successful technology company that they have to date. There are phones probably in this building right now uh, that that people are using. The cameras are phenomenal. It's it's been a huge um, coup for for China, technologically speaking, to be able to enter the tech sphere in that way. So for her to dishonor her country, I think as much as anything... uh, Um, would be what would you know there's there's more of an emphasis on that I think for her than the money because what does money mean to a family
1: that has so much of it that's what the Americans said they're worried about is that for her the surety they put up seven million in cash seven million in cash is nothing Mm -hmm. to Meng's family Uh, but you're right um When they came up today with the four sureties that were not her husband, because originally they were just going to use her husband, and I don't think that was going to fly. The four sureties who are local Vancouverites. We have, uh, who who were they? A real estate agent. We had an insurance agent. We had a part-time yoga instructor. We had a uh, homemaker. All of whom were willing to put up either cash or equity in their homes that they will lose if she walks away. Could they be compensated? Maybe. There's skeptics in all of us that say, There could be some side agreements, gentlemen agreements, but there's a lot that has to happen if she were to successfully flee. First of all, she has to somehow evade the security company that has been hired, um, hired by the courts but paid for by her, to watch her 24-7. There's an electronic monitoring that she's going to wear on her ankle. She would have to somehow remove it. Apparently, it can be removed with a pair of scissors. (laughs) However, it will sound an alarm. And so she'd have to remove that. She would have to evade the security company. She... Has in theory no passports. She claims she's turned in her only two passports. So two current passports, but I mean, the, the court was presented with several past passports that this woman has held over the last dozen years. Yeah, the judge says he's satisfied that those are no longer valid. That they were replacement passports. That she has two valid passports: one from the Republic of China, one from Hong Kong, both of whom which have been turned over to the courts. So the judge felt confident, clearly, that she's not going to flee. And I tell you, there was a lot of emphasis by her lawyer, like you said on the fact that it would be an embarrassment for her to flee. Uh, not only that, but she's looking forward to defending herself because if she were to flee, there would be an idea that it's because she's afraid that she's going to be found guilty. And the lawyer says, no, no, she she's not going to be found guilty. She is going to be fully exonerated if she were to be extradited and tried in the United States. So do I think she wants to be sent to the United States Absolutely not. I think they will argue tooth and nail that she should not be extradited. Experts I've talked to said that for the most part, Canada will extradite if the Americans request it. There's not a lot of times we'll turn it down. So... I think at this point there's a decent chance she'll be extradited, uh, but it could be drawn out for years and years. There's going to be appeal after appeal after appeal. And don't forget that there's a political side to this as well. Um, If this is going to be used as a bargaining chip between the Americans and China, it's possible that some sort of agreement could be reached where the Americans drop the charges if they get something that they want. We can't ignore the politics in this between the U.S. and China right now. It's possible she's being used a little bit to make a point uh, that the Americans don't care so much about uh, the charges of breaking U.S. sanctions with Iran as they do about making a point with China. So we're going to have to see where it goes from here, um, but... Yeah, I think we're going to be hearing her name for a long time. And hey, she's going to be living among us here in Vancouver. You may see her and look behind her. You'll see some security guys because nowhere, she can't go anywhere without a security personnel from this company watching her. And she's only allowed to go in Richmond, Vancouver, and parts of the North Shore as well. She's, she's a little bit um, restricted. Oh, and I say Richmond, but she is not allowed at YVR, obviously. <laughs> You know, I find it very
0: interesting that uh, she's painting this as taking an opportunity to just like relax a little bit, take her foot off the pedal because she has been this, um, you know, high powered corporate woman for so long. So it's fascinating to me that she wants to just read a book like most of us would on a weekend, no matter how long this lasts. But what was her demeanor like in court, Shannon? I mean, did she seem down in the dumps? Did she seem quite confident? Like, what was her, you know, body language telling you? What was her demeanor like as you were watching her?
1: Well, I only ever really saw her back. If <laughs> you remember the Air India courtroom, the way it's set up. It's got these little plastic partitions for, um... The uh, accused, And in, in, in this case, she sat in one and her interpreter sat beside her. If you've seen the court drawings, you've probably seen kind of what that looks like. So I only ever really saw her back. She spoke quite extensively with her lawyer, uh, David Martin, who was in court. Um, I, th- I think she understands a lot of English because she spoke to him and the interpreter didn't seem to be interpreting everything. And I think I've seen video where she does speak some English. Uh, she had an interpreter there. But um, uh, her demeanor, she didn't turn around and look at her husband, who was in the front row. Um I can't say anything was terribly remarkable that I saw from her. Um, I think she's very engaged in the process, and I think that she obviously had a lot to lose. So she left this in the hands of her lawyers, and I think uh, her lawyers would say that th- this was a victory, but the big victory is yet to come. They need to keep her here. Well,
0: and she, clearly she's a, a highly intelligent woman, a, a very um, engaged politically in the corporate sphere. I mean, this is not, um, you, you know, shes she's clearly in the upper echelons of, intellectuals or or business people in China, but I just wasn't sure if she seemed emotional or if, you know, there was anything that really, you know, if she seemed scared, because I think that any one of us arrested on foreign soil, even if you have connections there, if you have some familiarity, I'd be terrified. I don't know about you, but it, you know, I, was, I was kind of expecting some sort of uh, maybe um,
1: you know personal response, like something emotional like that, but nothing that you saw, hey? Eh? I never got to see her face. That was part of the problem, is that we sit behind the defendant, and the defendant looked forward. So I can't say that I ever saw any real emotion from her, but that's not to say she wasn't feeling it. It's that it's hard to see from the gallery. Not to mention, I think there's a certain element of of keeping up appearances
0: because it's not just the people in the gallery watching. It's your entire country back home is waiting to see how you're going to conduct yourself. Imagine the pressure. Imagine the pressure.
1: Yeah, her husband was there. We were told today that there were other family members there to support her. So she has a, a good support system here in Vancouver, and we've seen she has a lot of supporters in the public. It's hard to say if they support her personally or just don't like the idea of such a big tech giant from their home country because I'll have to say most of the supporters were of Chinese origin, um, being detained like this, seeing a woman who is whose family is worth billions, who is one of the uh, highest level tech executives in China in a prison jumpsuit is slightly shocking. Uh, I think it was shocking for people who've only seen her in a corporate environment and so I think those people are happy to see that she's free, that she's living in Vancouver and she's able to have, have some sort of a life. I'm not saying that it'll be a life like yours and mine but if she wants to go to the grocery store she just says hey security guys we're going to the grocery store if she wants to go to an event at her daughter's school and apparently her 10 year old daughter who's right now going to school in China will be moving to Vancouver to live with the family and also her husband who's on a six month visitor's visa will also So plan to stay beyond that if he can and live with his wife here in Vancouver. So they're going to set up shop as a family here. And they're, I guess, probably going to try to function as well as a family can function when uh, the matriarch is being watched by 24-7 security and is wearing an ankle bracelet.
0: And I think this, by very virtue of the fact that this is unfolding in Canada, it's unfolding in Vancouver, I think that ongoing um, trade negotiations and discussions with China that most people would find really dry and uninteresting and why do I care, all of a sudden there's now there's a reason to care because one of the focal points of that relationship and what it's going to look like going forward, she's walking the streets trying to live a normal life, unsure of her future, as all this other high-level stuff is going on. So I find it just really interesting that there's a local, um, real human example of kind of what the consequences are uh, and just how um, um far-reaching... international politics can be just from, you know, super high level, massive industry to a family just having to rearrange their lives based on these allegations.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, we hear about the the trade issues between U.S. and China and our eyes glaze over a little bit. But um, and I'm not saying for sure that she is a casualty of that. Uh, the Americans will say it has nothing to do with that, that it has to do with very specific crimes that they believe she committed, uh, frankly, in a PowerPoint presentation that they claim in this presentation, she misrepresented her company Huawei. Um, and it allowed banks to believe that they were dealing with a different company, um, and they were led to believe that they could do business that ultimately would break sanctions with Iran. So uh, kind of complicated, the, what she's accused of doing. But it uh, you're right, it, it brought a human face to it. And if she is being used politically, uh, then who knows how this is going to play out. One really interesting thing at the moment that we're recording this podcast is the Americans haven't actually filed for her extradition yet, and they haven't actually made public the charges they want to accuse her of. From the date of her arrest, which was uh, December 1st, I believe, at Vancouver International Airport, the Americans have 60 days to lay out their cards, and they haven't done it yet. And so I've heard from some experts that If this is being used as a bit of a political card, if she is a bit of a pawn in a game between China and the U.S., it isn't inconceivable that they won't actually ask for her extradition. Or that the Canadian Justice Department won't decide not to cooperate with the extradition and hold hearings at all. There's still a lot that's up in the air. I mean, we've talked about how they want her extradited, and that's certainly what they're saying right now. We've talked about these hearings, assuming they're going to take place. But there is no guarantee the hearings will actually happen. There's a lot that still needs to be determined in this case. And again, we come back to how long she might be here paying for her security. She could afford it. And the only reason ultimately I think that she got bail was because she's wealthy. Because you or I, if we were accused of doing this, couldn't afford the 24 hour day day seven-day-a-week security that she's paying for. Um, Yesterday someone suggested $1,000 a day. I think it's got to be more than that when you take into account the electronic monitoring and um, this company is uh, using very experienced retired Mounties to surveil her. This isn't the security guard at the mall. This is somebody who would cost some coin to have working for you. So, she is free tonight because she's rich, and uh, she's going to be able to live probably a pretty nice life in her. Multi-million-dollar Vancouver home. Well, by the way, she renovates her other, much more expensive, multi-million-dollar home that they want to move into when the work is finished. So, so she'll be in town to check the swatches, make sure they're right. Exactly. She can design that exactly how she wants to. So, we'll have to see how it plays out. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that are unclear right now. We know she's free on bail. We know that the Americans right now say they want to extradite her. They need to show their cards pretty soon. They need to uh, lay out their case. They need to formally apply for extradition. And then it comes back to Canada. And if we allow the hearings to take place in Canada, then it's up to a judge. So there's a lot left to be worked out. And I think we're going to have to do a follow-up podcast episode either as this
0: continues or as it's resolved. I mean, it could be resolved in less than 60 days. I guess we'll have to see. Thanks, Shannon. Thank you. I'd also like to thank Janine Avellino for her help with archival audio this week. And thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daffoss.